Welcome to the Value Investor Chatter. This is the podcast that helps you grow your wealth and become financially independent. My name is Becco, and my guest and my partner, Ari. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast. I know it's been a while. Uh, we are going to be back. I know we said that a few times, but trust me, this time we are going to be back. We've made a lot of updates to our website and kind of thinking through what we're going to what we're going to make of this. Um, because as you guys, some of you guys might know that we've been, we've been putting out content for a little bit, uh, for a little while now, right? Three years, more than three years, something like that. And we definitely want to continue to cultivate uh, the community and there's so much to talk about out there. So here we go in 2023, January 19th, we are recording our first podcast and I think, I don't know, about a year or something like that. Uh, maybe less. Yep. Anyway, good to good to see you, Hari. What's going on? Well, not much. Just busy, but I think we're going to be very, uh, um, very busy on this uh, the podcast this year, and I think we're going to have a lot of good content. So I hope you'll join us for all of it because I think it'll be very, um, very exciting stuff. So awesome. So today we're going to be talking about Disney. Um, Disney, as we, we talked about in the previous podcast, Disney is one of our favorites because it's a money printing, it's a money printing gusher. Uh, but recently it has encountered some issues. Uh, and some of you guys might know the, the helm at the helm of Disney, there was a Bob and then there was a new Bob and then, and then the old Bob is, is taking over. So it's a story of, of two Bobs. So Hari, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So for. Um, for about 22 years, the original Bob, who is actually named Bob Iger, um, ran Disney during the end of the, uh, what was called the Disney Renaissance period where they, um, he kind of picked up and they, Disney was struggling under Michael Eisner. Um, but they had, uh, under Michael Eisner, they had made some big changes started making some animated movies that a lot of kids in the 80s and 90s remember like Beauty and the Beast um and uh you know it, it kind of ran through for about 15 years and they made a huge um uh progress Bob Iger took over um and under his tenure for 22 years there were some several key acquisitions that you probably remember uh or or at least have heard of, and we've talked about in the last episode, which were um, the, uh, the the main ones there were uh, Pixar, uh, Marvel Studios, and Star Wars. So for each one of those, they spent somewhere around uh, four to seven billion dollars on each, and they've integrated those and they've made their money back multiple times over through you know all the licensing and you know. If you've been haven't been under a rock in the last 15 years you've seen a ton of marvel movies as well um but what has happened recently is um and we complained about this when we saw um you know was disney's switch to streaming was going to be you know their answer to netflix and these other groups um and the problem with uh streaming as we talked about when we did our netflix episode and we didn't we because we thought oh Disney's going to really beat them up uh, at the uh, you know uh, you know because they have such a big back catalog, uh, 
But in order to fill out their catalog, Disney spent $71 billion on um, buying the back catalog of Fox, uh, Fox Searchlight. And so so now Disney also controls other, uh, you know, brands like uh, The Simpsons, which you can see on Disney Plus and so forth. So their argument was we need these other assets to like really gain momentum on the streaming service. So fast forward a couple of years, Bob Chapek um, takes over. Bob Iger is kind of leaves the business as 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 he's retiring, uh, and kind of steps away from Disney. Chapek comes in right before the pandemic begins, and uh, and he is kind of put into a very difficult position because he is he's actually not a, a entertainment. Uh, producer uh, guy. He was more on the Disney Parks side of the house. So the on the Disney Parks side, you know, it's a very profitable business. It's a kind of a recurring, you know, business, but it's a very heavy asset-based thing. And this is guy is more of a um, finance, you know, kind of uh, guy, and he's more focused on that kind of stuff. So anyway, Chapek comes in and he's under very difficult circumstances because they have to shut down production of movies. They have to turn off so he, he walks into a very difficult scenario. Um, and, you know, to his credit, I think they, they actually did okay there. But um, they Chapek was really pushing heavily to get more and more invested into the streaming business. And at this time, we're starting to realize the streaming business isn't making any money. Um, and in fact, they're, they're, they're doing such a poor job at it that, um, you know... Um, it, you know, it, it's clear that, you know, their free cash flow is taking a hit, but Chapek is like, this is not going to make money for a while because we're going to keep investing and keep investing in content and so forth. So about, you know, this time last year, there's starting to be rumors of, or I'm sorry, not last year, but six months ago or so, um, the board of Disney is starting to now get uncomfortable with where the direction of the business is. So they start moving against uh, Chapek and start preparing for bringing back Bob Iger. And uh, about three months ago, that actually occurs. And it's kind of like a, you know, we're, it's almost like tabloid news with the way you, you read about it. And, you know, the Wall Street Journal, he said this and he said that and blah, 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 blah. But when you actually get down to the, like, you know, you know, Chapek was kind of pushing for something that was not making money, and he'd actually irritated a lot of the content creators on the Disney side. Um, and then there was some stuff in Florida where, you know, Bob Chapek uh, kind of uh, pissed off the state of Florida, who is trying to revoke some of his special status for Disney World. So, you know, to summarize all of this and get kind of back on onto this, the biggest problems have actually occurred under Bob Iger's watch, right? He spent a ton of money acquiring things that didn't have, um, you know, a, an appreciable return. Um, the $71 billion on Fox being one of the biggest. Um, but on top of that, they have spent $162 billion since 2018. So a lot of that was under Iger. A lot of it was under Chapek. Um, in CapEx, mergers and acquisitions and so forth, um, which is roughly equivalent to Disney's current market cap. So 
when they brought back Iger, everybody was cheering it as a, you know, huge success. But when you actually look at Bob Iger's tenure as a Disney director, they, they actually underperformed the S&P 500 by about 60%. So uh, the, the S&P 500 went up 30, 333% during Bob Iger's 22 years. Um, but the, uh, uh, but Disney only went up 270%. So it, it kind of indicates to you like capital allocation, we've always talked about how important it is. Um, but this is really the crux of the argument. And that's what we're going to talk about, you know, today, because there's going to be some activists and there's going to be some more drama that comes, you know, into this story. Yeah, I think that, that, was, a, that was a great summary. So I'd like to kind of focus on, I'd like to make a few comments on this. So first is, first I think is the personality differences of Bob, well, this, this whole thing with Bob, you know, Chapek and Bob Iger, it's like you said, it's, it's been kind of a, it's sort of like nonstop news towards the end of last year about, oh, is Bob going to take over? Is Bob's going to take over? Blah, blah, blah. I think there was a lot of kind of Wall Street drama around this whole situation. One thing that you pointed out, I think, which is which is valid, which is that Bob Chapek was just simply executing the strategy that was already in place. The, mm -hmm. the motion of the strategy was already in place under Iger. And then here he was, he came and executed it. According to Iger's plan, maybe, you know, some things here and there didn't really align with Iger's kind of, you know, my new details, but kind of largely it was mostly set in motion when Iger was in charge. And then now here you have Iger coming back and saying, look, you're not doing a good job. Let me, I need to take over and, and rectify the situation. So I think that that's one thing. I think we need to give Chapek a little bit more credit there. And then I think, I think on the, on the thing with the streaming, which we'll talk more about is the whole idea with streaming is that you plow capital into streaming business. The whole idea behind, you know, the Disney plus and acquiring all these different assets is that they, the only differentiator that they have, and I think this is true for all streaming businesses is that ultimately you need to become a unique content provider. You, you can't, you can't be an aggregator like YouTube, for example, YouTube or TikTok. These are user-generated content that are mostly commodity, whereas, whereas these movies are, the users cannot generate them. These are you know, high production, high value movie studios that produce them yep. and they're not commodities. So how do you differentiate, you know, YouTube category or how do you differentiate Disney category, uh, category with, with, um, with, um, Netflix, Netflix's. The, the only way to do that is by investing a lot in the content business. So I think that's, that's, that was the core part of the strategy. So let's go out there and actually acquire a bunch of content so that we can further our moat in becoming the sole content provider. And then the whole technology piece around streaming is, is commodity. It's like, you know, technology is just, the, it's just there to serve the, so the business. So I think that's, that's one thing. Another thing with streaming business is that because because Disney in, is in a situation where they have this massive catalog of content, what the end, they have all these different ways to monetize, right? 
you have one series of Marvel series or whatever Disney series, and then you put it out there as a, as, you know, as a streaming, and then you give it, give it out for free, basically with the streaming business, you get them hooked, you acquire a customer. So the cost of acquisition CAC, you get, basically subsidize it, but then you make it up for the back in the back end by getting them hooked on Disney plus, and then you go to the park and then you spend a ton of money on there and then, yep. you know, buy all the merchandise, blah, blah, blah. So you make it up on the back end. So if anything, this whole streaming war that's been happening, uh, you know, I would still think that Disney is better off than all these other providers like Netflix. How are they going to make it up on the back end? Because fundamentally, it's just not, it's just not profitable. Like you have to give it, and the, the customers are so used to paying 10 bucks for unlimited content, they're not going to be able to go up. And that's why they're turning more into the ad model, which I think is a smart move, although you know it's questionable how the user experience is going to be with the ad model. Um, but nonetheless, I think the point is Disney is better off than most, but still it's very difficult right now to kind of navigate this water. And I think another point that people are raising is, okay, fine. You know, you can acquire me as a customer through Disney plus, but then you better make sure I'm going to. I'm going to pay a lot of money for the, the theme parks and other things because you need to capture the value on the other, on the other side. Fine. That's no problem, but you better make sure that the quality of the experience at, at the theme parks and the merchandise and all these other things stay high. And that, I think that was another criticism of, of JPEG is that, okay, you're going to raise the prices, but the quality has been going down. Yeah. So, well, so that, that, that was. That that I thought was a was a fine was a fine critique of of Chapek. <clears throat> yeah, and that, and that was certainly one of the biggest, most visible things was a lot of people had been accustomed to certain things at Disney parks, um, and then you raise the price and then reduce the service quality, right? And the biggest thing that Disney had, and this was one of the things they've written books about it. You know, it's taught in business schools about customer service. You know, Disney World's customer service, Disneyland's customer service was, you know, above and beyond anything at uh, almost any other place, right? But you weren't paying, you know, it was essentially you're getting the customer service you would get at like the Four Seasons, but you weren't getting the, the price of the Four Seasons, right? Um, but it, just stepping back for a second to kind of discuss how destructive the capital allocation has been. In 2019, um, they spent $18 billion on content. 2020, that went up to $20 billion, then $25 billion, and then $30 billion. So they went, the, the content spend increased 50%, you know, in, in that two-year span from $20 billion to $30 billion. But on top of that, they spent $52 billion net on, because they also sold off some of the assets when they purchased uh, from mergers and acquisitions to buy Fox, they got a bunch of assets like um, Hulu, or I think this is excluding the Hulu uh, uh, acquisition because they already owned some of Hulu. Um, but when you get down to this, they spent in four years, spent $162 billion. And the free cash, uh, the earnings per share actually declined from $7 a share to $3.5 a share. So think about how ridiculous that entire, like you just set a bunch of money on fire and have nothing to show for it. Right. And you can say, Oh, you know, this is 
under Chapek, but this, like you said, it's Bob Iger set this all the sage for all of this up. Chapek just continued to execute on it. He had some other ideas about the parks and raising prices and all of that stuff, but he had to do those things because they're not making money on the thing that drives people to the parks, right? And in fact, they were lo- they always made money off of it before. Now you're spending money and losing it on content. So you're relying on the park to become this asset that just basically, you know, covers up the sins of the the the, the spending here, right? So to me, this is this is a this is a great business that essentially, like we we said, we've always talked about Disney has a very large impenetrable moat. But the problem that we never re- realized is that the the um, the way that they're bringing down their moat is from the inside, right? It's not the barbarians outside the gates. It's the barbarian inside the gate that's destroying it. And that's because they're spending too much money on everything. Yeah, I think one has to kind of wonder about, well, I think I think a few, few things. I think, I think one of the, and, and you, I think you did the analysis on this hard. So correct me if I'm wrong. One of the, one of the biggest revenue drivers for Disney was the, was the bundling for the cables. Yep. Okay. So let's, let's think about that for a second. So the cable bundle made them a lot of money, but what's happening right now. Okay. It is slowly being eroded away. You can say though, yeah, it's still making money fine, but it's, it is certainly being eroded away. So as a, as a, you know, somebody at the helm of this giant corporation, you've got to think kind of a couple steps ahead. Okay. Everyone's cutting cords, moving to streaming. Fine. Okay. Let's, let's do the, the, the streaming strategy. Okay. So, so how do you think about what, what will be the right move there? What will be the right move in terms of cap allocation? Because another thing that we have to think about is, okay, we, we just went through, you know, frankly, it, it feels like we went through some crazy like drug high or something with zero interest yeah. rates okay I, I that's one thing that's one of the things that i that i that i'm taking away it, it, you know deeply here is that as as value investors as 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 any kind of investor if the i think especially as value investor as the macro environment deteriorates and goes to a zero percent interest rate a lot of the discussions around valuation kind of goes out the window because it doesn't matter how the company performs. It doesn't matter the fundamentals because when the interest rate is zero, the money is free. You can just spend it all and it's no problem. The valuation is going to stay up high. No problem. And now it's, it's coming down again. And now we're finally able to kind of be more rational about our capital allocation decision because there is actual consequences to misallocation of capital there is right now what four or five percent right real consequences when you when you don't deploy it well so i think that's another thing that we have to think about and so i'll toss it back to you what do you what what is the right strategy well so i i think you know i I don't know all of the terms of their debt right but your your point is very valid that when you know the cost of borrowing is free you're going to spend money and you know to give you an idea of how much they overpaid for fox fox's ebit um they paid 26.5s 
uh, Fox's EBITDA for 2018. The going rate for traditional media assets was around 11.9. So they paid, and I, I would argue 11.9 is a lot to begin with anyway. So now Fox is $50 billion of goodwill on the balance sheet that you have almost no way to kind of monetize, right? Other than the streaming service. So <clears throat> the biggest challenge I think Fox is going to have, or, or I'm sorry, Disney is going to have is you have a bunch of assets. I don't think you can actually sell these assets anymore to anybody at the same price. Um, you, you'll probably get pennies on the dollar if you try to dump these things anywhere, right? Uh, and and I, I and I don't know what to do in order to, but I think rectifying the balance sheet so that it's not going to kill you in five years when you have to refinance it, right? Um, and you're now going to be paying twelve percent interest on it because it's you know you have such a terrible balance sheet to begin with. Um, I think that's that is one. Two, I think they're going to have to actually spend a lot less money on content creation which is going to actually probably have an impact on their top line revenue. But I think what they'll have to do is start greenlighting movies and shows and things like that, that are going to actually be profitable and find ways to not put them on Disney's streaming service. Because like we were saying before, the cable business was a very profitable business because whether you watched the Disney content, you got Disney got paid for it, right? Um, every cable subscriber, I think, was paying $6 to ESPN, you know, for ESPN, whether or not they used ESPN or, you know, here, you've now sliced that out and people are cutting the cord moving over to streaming, but they choose whether or not they pay $10 a month for Disney's streaming service, right? So I, I think what they're going to have to do is probably increase the cost of Disney Plus, you know, to some something that it can cover it. I don't think the ad-based business is going to do much for them in the, you know, in the short term. But I think it's really going to be get people to come to the parks because that's where you're going to make your money and then start releasing blockbuster movies that are going to make, um, you know, you know, get back to, you know, releasing three or four of those a year. Um, because if you look at some of the, the, the Marvel universe after, um, the, uh, <clears throat> the big, uh, I, I forget the the actual, it, it's been in the last 18 months. They've released a ton of movies in Marvel and they're not really making a whole lot of money off of them. Um, yeah. and, I, and, and TV shows, right, for that matter. So I, I think their, their biggest problem is they're going to have to figure out what are the assets that are going to make the most money, put and make content out of those, and then really cut back on everything else. Because otherwise you're going to just burn cash and not going to be able to clean up the balance sheet. So okay. one of the, I'll, I'll just comment on, I, I'd like to just comment on, on that part because I feel like this is a more of a, this isn't, this is a, this is a, this is a take that is more macro than micro. This is a take that is just, that is not just isolated to Disney, but to basically every company. And I think this is most felt in the startup space. And just going back to the ma macro take, because money was so cheap and they were able to finance these transactions with basically no repercussions, I think 
overpaying for things and not being so diligent about what they're paying for. I think those happened across the board in big companies and small companies. And there was a, there was there was the tendency to move out further into the risk curve, as people say, to buy things that perhaps wasn't profitable, to buy things that wasn't really, you know, wasn't adding much value to the business because the money was so cheap. What would you do? Your your money is sitting there in your in your bank account. You might as well deploy it, right? That was the idea. So, yep. Now that the macro environment is is normalizing. People have to, people and, you know, business owners, big and small have to, have to think about what does it mean if I deploy this capital to buy, to buy some asset? Well, it better in my mind, it better, there, there's actually a hurdle now of four or 5% because you can get that risk-free with treasuries. So, so I think, I think, I think more people are starting to rationalize costs. Obviously, CFOs all around all, all around the world is is now doing cost cutting measures. So you'll see a bunch of you know firing uh, announcements, a lot of rifts happening, especially in the tech industry. But it's going to spread through the entire entire S and P five hundred and beyond. Um, yeah, so I think I think that was a good that was a good take, Corey. So tell me about this. Uh, tell me about this this hedge fund. So, um, Trian Partners is a uh, is a fund that is uh, headed by a guy named Nelson Pels, and he has <clears throat> made a website which you can visit called RestoreTheMagic.com, and he has a great presentation on his website, which we've used for some of this content, um, to essentially say we want to make sure that as shareholders of Disney we get the best value out of our shares because he thinks it's still a good business. It's still a, um, but they need to clean up a lot of things and they, they're actually not trying to replace anybody. They're just trying to get things back in order. And he thinks that their last five to six years of capital allocation have been terrible. And I, I don't know how you could argue that they are, that they aren't, you know, they've been awful at it. Um, and because of that, um, you know, I, I think the biggest thing that, I see out of this entire um, discussion is whether or not Trian Partners gets on the board or whether or not they, I think Disney has to have a serious conversation with its shareholders and say, how are we going to fix all of the issues that we are seeing here? We've spent a ton of money. We have nothing to show for it. Um, and, you know, we are, we're not, you know, we were, in the last five years went from being a leader in a lot of different areas to being, um, you know, a follower in a lot of those areas. And we could do a lot better with a lot of the things that we have, uh, you know, have, have managed cash capital allocation, leverage, all of the things that we just, you know, talked about. So it, I, I think it is interesting to see an outsider perspective come in and say, these are the problems that Disney has had. We have to fix those and reinstate the dividend and do all of the things to get people back on track. If Disney had not spent all of this money and, you know, blown out the balance sheet and done all of this stuff, you know, I think their earnings per share would have kept growing. I think they could have actually, but Wall Street would have hammered them in the short term, but their earnings per share would look a lot better than it does today if they had, if they had continued to do that. 
their streaming business is not expected to make any money for another two years. And, and even when it does, it's going to be a paltry amount of money compared to the amount they've spent on it. So, and I, I don't think they'll ever re recoup the cost that they've spent on it at this point. So it really gets back to this, this point of like, I, I encourage you to look at a company like Disney as this is a great business. There's a potential turnaround here. There's a potential uh, large, you know, um, return that could be had if you were uh, buying a Disney today. But I think it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of management effort um, because they're essentially trading at um, the price that they traded at 10 years ago uh, or eight years ago at this point. Um, so they've lost a decade's worth of value uh, because of this overspending. Yeah. It's it's a it's it's good take. One of the, one of the things that I I um, when I looked into it, one of the things that Chapek and Iger, I guess Chapek did, was just to add to the point that you were mentioning, Hari, about the streaming business and kind of the point that I was raising earlier, where streaming business is upstream, is more of a CAC, is more of a is more of a acquiring customer acquiring kind of mechanism and you capture the value on the other end with theme parks and other things. Yeah. What he has done and one of the things he has done in order to manifest this strategy is to combine the entire organization into a single PNL. Into a single in, into a single PNL. In the past it was sort of separated out so okay streaming business you got your own pnl content creators you got your own pnl theme parks you got your own pnl but if you want to drive towards the strategy of okay give this out for free but you need to capture it on the back end everyone needs to work together every organization within this big organization needs to be working together for the single goal of you know doing really well on the pnl overall on the overall company it makes sense to group them all together that, that is one of the things that JPEG did and, you know, it's, it's, it's been, it's been two years and I, I wonder, I wonder what, I, I think it's the right move if we, if we want to push the streaming strategy, because I think you're right. Is streaming ever going to make any money? I mean, this is kind of the evergreen question with the streaming businesses. Are they ever going to make money? Like is, is Netflix going to make money? Is Disney plus ever going to make money? If that's not the case, then try to at least go for, you know, break even, or at least, you know, close the gap a little bit and then you make it up on the back end with other things. I think that, that makes, that makes the most sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the streaming business doesn't have to necessarily be blowout profitable kind of thing, but they have to, you know, the funny thing about Disney parks is that the Disney parks, your ticket price, essentially pays for all of the services that run at the park. So they, it's a break-even thing. It it's the pays the salaries, it covers the, you know, CapEx, all of the things that they have to do to uh, run a park. But they make their money off of people acquiring um, merchandise at the, at the park. And so it's always interesting to me, like, they do all of this elaborate thing to then sell you merchandise, right? And if you continue that kind of approach with, we'll get you hooked on our content and break even on our content, but we'll find ways to merchandise, you know, sell you merchandise on top of it. That makes a lot of sense to me 
right? Like Netflix can't do that because Netflix's content is mostly targeted towards adults. We're not going to be buying, you know, stuffed animals and things like that, you know, based on that content, right? So I think they have to come back to a strategy of let's stop selling things that are not going to sell ancillary products, right? Marvel, Star Wars, Pixar, the Disney animation studios, they all have a very clear path to uh, asset, you know, you know, you know, merchandise and things like that, that you can purchase. Everything else beyond that to me seems like it's not going to be, you know, you know, that they should be really focused on their ROI around those, you know, four labels and, you know, promoting as much of that as they can. And everything else should be, you know, you know, kind of tossed to the wayside because I don't think it's going to be the, the main, you know, uh, you know, revenue driver for them. Yeah. It's good. Good take. Any, any parting thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I, I think this is a, this is a great example and it, it is, even if you're not interested, because I don't know that this is necessarily something that most people would invest in at its current state. It's worth reading through this as, you know, an educational exercise to look at a company has taken a very profitable, very uh, functional business, driven it into a, a, you know, in a terrible state. And then if you follow through the next two or three years to see how do they actually fix this, I think it's worthwhile because it, it'll always come down to, and it always does for value investors, what is the capital allocation? Where are they actually taking their money to then drive you know, revenue? You spent a lot, it didn't generate anything. What are you going to do to fix it, right? And I think that's, that's a huge part of this going forward. Yeah, it's great take. All right, well, this is it for us. I hope you guys enjoy the podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and like and leave a comment below. And we are available in any uh, any podcast app on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. So subscribe us there. And then we also have our new website. So go to valueinvestor.org. Check out our new website. There should be a lot of resources for you. We publish on a weekly basis blogs about the market commentary, about what's going on. If you go to our website, you can also find you can also find a list of books that we recommend, a, a a checklist. So as you guys, some of you guys might know, we go through a checklist when we evaluate companies. That's all free, available online at valueinvestor.org. So check us out, check out, check us out there. All right, that's it for um, us. And I'll just add one thing: if there was a lot of terms and things that you we talked about today that you didn't necessarily understand. We also have a course where you can kind of go um, uh, learn about all of the, uh, the the terms and everything about what it takes to actually make a company, financial statements, the financial ratios that we discussed, um, and and also sign up for our checklist, you know, on the website and get notified, you know, of, of new content and things like that. So I think, you know, as part of this, you know, going forward this year, I think we're going to be put, putting a lot of effort into the the podcast and also the uh, the website and and features there to make this community even better uh, going forward. Awesome, thanks guys, and I will see you guys next week. All right, have a good one. <laughs>